Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said in current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Mike Ellis. Mike is a director at 43 Clicks North, a conversion rate optimization agency based in Hull, East Riding of Yorkshire. Mike, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Um, likewise, thank you for taking the time uh, to, of course, uh, join us on the air. And um, the purpose of this discussion, Mike, is to really understand your take on leadership, of course. So if we dive straight into that and just look at that word leader in isolation for a moment, what does that really mean to you? How does that word resonate? Um, I mean, quite a big question in itself, but um, I think it all comes down to kind of aspirational uh, elements. I think um, myself, I mean, I've got quite a quite a big sporting background, so I'll probably pull a lot of analogies from there um, throughout this conversation. But I think it all comes down to um, uh, a good leader. It, it, it's something that you want to aspire to be. Um, and I think, you know, if I look back at kind of the leaders that have influenced me over my, my career, over my my life is they've always kind of they've inspired me in many ways but it's always been the fact that I've had an aspiration to actually be like them and I think when you kind of transcend that into popular culture within uh, films and TV shows and and all the leaders that are in there I think a a good leader is someone that someone allows people to aspire to be like them Um, and I think it's someone who yeah, I, I think that that kind of sums it up quite well. It's very much more aspirational and it's, you know, set an example and things like that. Yeah, it certainly sums up um, the need for a leader to perhaps to inspire people and to have people aspiring to be like them and following their example, Mike. I think that's absolutely right. Um, you mentioned, of course, some a few examples in your career of people that you've uh, looked up to um, have mainly come from sporting backgrounds. Are there any maybe one or two of those that perhaps stick out who really, really influenced you as you've developed through life and your career as well? Um, yeah, I could probably pick out pick out a couple of ones to be fair. Um, both whether teammates or coaches from a sporting uh, point of view. Um, I'd, I'd be and and I know a few people listening to this will giggle when I say this, but I've got to kind of drop my brother in there. Um, uh, so he's slightly older than me, but he had a full full sporting career playing rugby league. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd be a I'd be ashamed not to admit that, you know, the way that he handled himself and the way that he led himself in terms of um, his approach to the sport and his, his discipline and everything like that didn't inspire me. Um, and probably from a, from a brotherly point of view and a sibling aspect, he definitely kind of led the way in which I then approached the way that I went and played the game as well. Although we never really got to play much together or, or, or anything like that. Um, that was definitely someone who I'd consider a bit of a leader for me in my sporting background. But then I've also had some really good coaches. I remember when I was a student up in Newcastle, um, we uh, um, had a coach up there, a guy called Kev Neighbour, um, and he was a former professional. He played a lot of semi-pro rugby in his career. He's now living over in Australia. Um, and he was a very, very quiet, considered man in the way that he spoke. Um but I always found that the presence that he held, the knowledge that he held and the way he kind of went about himself and the information and, and the knowledge that he gave me on a one-to-one perspective definitely helped me become a better player and, and I'd probably dare say a better person as a result of it. Um, so 
So I definitely probably owe a little bit to him because if it wasn't for him, I actually had, did actually manage to get a, a semi-professional contract off the back of his coaching as well. Um, although that didn't last too long. <laughs> Mm. Even so, I mean, two very, very intriguing examples are there, Mike, for two different reasons. One, of course, is uh, the fact that one of them is um, a sibling of yours. That's important to remember that some of the most influential people out there are parents, their siblings, their mentors, those sorts of uh, people. Um, but also as well, um, the fact that um, the coach who you mentioned there, very quiet sort of personalities, you say, but also very confident in what he did. And it just goes to show that it leadership comes in many different forms, doesn't it? You don't necessarily have to be... Um, an overawing kind of personality um you of course a presence always helps but you can yeah. be very quiet as well and reserved in your approach and yet still be just as effective as a leader and i think it comes down to people management in a way yeah doesn't it particularly in the uh, the sporting world getting the best out of those around you and indeed adapting your approach to fit with different personalities because no one tactic is really going to work for everybody is it Oh, completely. It's um, you know the man management aspect of it is is for me really really important. And I think you know when we talk about some of the leaders that we see within like the country and the world at the moment that we see on the TV and the news and everything like that, the biggest challenge I think they face is the portrayal that they get from the media because there's only one aspect of a, of a conversation that's been shown there, or one 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 perception of a uh, an act that's been shown as a result of that. And I think that makes it very challenging for those and I think when I look at the leaders who have the biggest influence on me it's ones who have actually been around and you get to see that full interaction uh, they get to adapt how they lead and how they talk to that individual person because well without that ad- adaptation to that individual is you can you know identify the right motives the right uh, influences that inspire and actually drive that, that individual as a result of it so I mean, I'm a big believer in the biggest leaders that we have in life are the ones who are probably going to be a lot closer to us than the ones who are, who are much higher up and much further away. I think you're absolutely right in what you say there, uh, Mike. And um, I think that man management side of things is um, one of the big things that going from sports to business can really, really transfer over. And it's hugely important in uh, both uh, fields there. Um but also um, the other thing that um, you mentioned uh, there, Mike, um, at the end, that's also uh, quite um, important. You know, I've actually forgotten what it was that you uh, mentioned uh, just at the end there, but it was a very, very good point. Could you just remind me? <laughs> um, was it about the, the perception? Um, yes. Or the motives and uh, so the perception? Um, so I talked about the perception of kind of obviously some of the bigger leaders that we look at within Parliament or whether it's sporting figures, anything like that. Um, yes. And I think, you know, quite, I don't know whether it's rightly or wrongly, if I'm honest, but because of technology that we have today, we have the ability to see, you know, some of the people achieving absolutely fantastic things. We get to see much more of their lives. Um, And these people are almost kind of put on a bit of a pedestal for us and giving us examples of this is who we should be, this is who we should follow and everything like that. I mean, obviously, there's quite a, quite a battle going on currently um, mm. within, within within government a very very similar situation but what we forget with that is that these people are human um, and when we've got a human element to it and, and we put these people on such a high pedestal there's no chance that they can live up to that so as leaders and as as people who are there to inspire generations and, and individuals it becomes a very hard job um, mm. and, I, and, I, and I don't I don't believe they're the best people to be looking up to from a leader perspective 
because at the end of the day, we are human and mistakes get made. Um, whereas when you get the much more personal leader, you know, whether that's your line manager, whether that's a teammate, whether that's a coach or anything like that, is you get to see that person in their context. Um, and as a result of it, you see a, see, see a human. Um, and as a result of it, you get to see how a human actually deals with problems. Um, and I think that's when leadership really kind of comes to its forefront. Is, you know, it's not just about telling someone how they can deal with their problems. It's not, you know, giving them advice or giving them tips on and, and, and improving their skills. It's about them leading by example. And you can only do that by seeing them go through their own trials and tribulations. Um, whereas when we put people on a pedestal and we only see them through one looking glass, which mm. is whether that be the news or through social media, everything like that, we're only ever going to see one version of that person. And as soon as we see a different version of that is our perception of that person completely changes. And therefore the influence that they have on us is, is becomes very fragile. Um, so yeah, so I'm much more, um, so I, I do feel, feeling a lot of way for a lot of people who put on those pedestals because it's, it's a very, very hard job to do and there's a lot of responsibility that's been put on them. Um, mm. But I think the true leaders of the world are the ones who are around you and actually inspiring you every day. I think that's a very, very important point because of the fact that, of course, it highlights that as a leader, particularly in the public eye, you are very much there to be shot at, not just through media portrayal, but also scrutiny of every single thing that you do, mistakes, be it mistakes um, in the political arena, very, of course, relevant at the moment, of course. Um, also yep. as well, um, in the sporting world, you're judged very much on results and certain decisions, again, attract um, quite a great deal of uh, criticism. But as well, the fact that some of the most influential leaders are the people that are closest to us, such as mentors, people that are not in the public eye, as it were, and this is quite relevant in the business world. They don't necessarily, because they're not in the public eye, like those other people, get the recognition that they deserve. Um, so do you think that we do celebrate those sorts of leaders maybe as much as we should do? Uh, I think it's quite hard to, if I'm honest. I think a lot of those people, I mean, I can look back and I can name I can name some people from my career who have one hundred percent impacted the person I am today and and, uh, and from a personal point of view as well. But I think when you're going through that at, at the time is I don't think you necessarily know the impact that they're having on you, and I think it's quite hard to at that moment give them the recognition that they actually deserve. I think it's much more retrospectively when you turn around and say, well, actually, you know, I, I remember that conversation I had with with so-and-so, so-and-so very clearly and, and without that I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, I think, I, th I think, firstly, I think it's hard for us to actually be able to give that recognition because sometimes we're so past the moment it, it, it's a bit hard to go back and give that recognition. Um, and the other thing is, um, oh, I've, I've lost my train of thought there slightly there. Um, I think the, the other thing on that is no, we don't. Um, in, in short, I think we because we put so much other people on pedestals, and um, especially from a spy background, social media and things like that. I had a really interesting conversation with with my with my mum the other day, actually, talking about uh, social media stops. Um, so if you go back fifty, sixty years, and, and to be a celebrity or be the best at something was a lot easier because you didn't have access to all the other people in the world who were also exactly. good at that. Um, so, you know, I've talked to my grandma and she, and she was great at high jump, you know, in all honesty, she probably wasn't actually that great at high jump, but she was the best in her school. 
Um, and she still talks about that and talks about that as a great memory. So the impact that she can have on, on that and uh, talk to about us as grandchildren, you know, can, can inspire and, and, and drive us in that way. Whereas now, if you're the best at something in your school, it's no longer good enough because now that's part of, you're part of such a wider community is you can easily compare yourself to the person who's best in the county or the best in the country. And therefore, the ability to be able to inspire people on that local level becomes a lot harder because you're no longer, whether we like it or not, we're no longer on that local level uh, because of the access to technology that we have, um, if that makes any sense. It does, absolutely. I mean, and I think social media um, does bring with it its own pressures as well. Um, there are benefits, of course. It connects us um, in various ways and we can, of course, oh, have very really. easy access to people and learn from them as well. But also it does make you far more aware of when things do go wrong and the criticism that can uh, come your way for sure. Um, and based upon all of your uh, collective um, experience, uh, Mike, um, if you were to actually advise somebody who was maybe about to venture into their first leadership role within a business, what sort of advice would you go about giving them to make sure that they were prepared? Um, I'd, say, I'd probably turn around and say prepared for, for not as many thanks as you'd, you'd expect um, based on what I was saying previously. Um, and and then and, and make sure that you're looking at the bigger picture in terms of what you're trying to do is trying to achieve it. Because if you're trying to do it for that individual recognition, you know, you, you're probably going into it for the wrong reasons. You know, it's got to be to build something bigger for the collective because um, that makes it a lot easier to, to take, take those blows when you might get picked out for the wrong things or uh, don't get those thanks along the way um, and, and just make sure I say you lead by example is you know you shouldn't ever ask anyone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself um, you know lots of people in leadership roles will either manage or look after uh, people who have different skill sets to them um, and therefore you can't physically do that job or you can't mentally do that job um, but you've just got to be willing to do it you know if something doesn't fit well with you and doesn't fit well in your kind of moral standards and your values then there should be no way that you're asking someone else to be able to do that um, because it's a, it's a surefire way to get caught out um, and that's when you start to lose respect and as soon as you've lost respect you've, you've, you've lost the ability to lead in my opinion Absolutely. You've got to show that humility, haven't you, to be able to continue to take people with you. Lead by example, as you've said there. Always make sure that you're very much on an equal footing with those around you. And also, don't lose Completely. sight of the long term as well. Don't be distracted by essentially short term gain and don't lose sight of uh, the uh, the real goals. Um, that's that's massive, isn't it? Especially for the younger generations out there. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, again, we, we talk back to kind of, you know, I feel like I'm bringing social media into this, not, but it's clear, it's a nice way of being able to show the existing um, social challenges we've got. Is, you know, we do now have a lot of, you know, things out there that give us really short-term results. You know, we've, we've lost an element of patience, I believe. Um, and it's very easy to start to fall into kind of day-to-day in terms of like your career goals, your personal goals, your sporting goals, any of your, any of your professional goals. Um, is you've got to have, you know, you've got to be able to sacrifice a little bit of the now, you know, for what you need, what you're actually aiming for in the future. Um, and you know, if you can't show that as a leader, you're not really going to get that off off the people you're leading either. 
I think that's absolutely right, Mike. And if we do now think about that long term, before we do wrap things up on the other programme today, do give me an idea of what you envision the next year or so holds for yourself and for 43 Clicks North, and also what you hope to achieve, not just in that time in getting through this current COVID-19 situation, but also for beyond this pandemic as well as we begin to emerge from this. Um, well, it's been in a bit of it's been a bit of an interesting couple of months. Um, so it's safe to say that the plans that we had at the beginning of the year are slightly changed. Um, so we were on for a really kind of good bit of growth this year. Um, so we had lined up to bring in some more staff, probably around uh, double in size as an agency, um, which is going to be a bit of a struggle now due to due to the um, the, uh, the issues that are going on currently. Um, but despite that, we've, we've been really lucky. So I've got a fantastic team who work with us here. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, to kind of keep everyone on during the pandemic. Um, obviously, it's still going on. Um, so we did have a couple of clients, a little bit of business that we lost, but we were able to reinvest that time and get everyone working on the business instead. Um, so we managed to advance a couple of um couple of process, a couple of products offerings and things like that. So now we're on a really good uh, trajectory coming out of it. So we're hoping that in the next six to 12 months is, um, while we don't think we'll be able to double in size, we'll probably expect another kind of 50% growth on top of where we are at the moment. Um, uh, and that will definitely be bringing in probably about four or five new staff members um, to kind of bolster our team up to about 14, 15 people, um, which will give us the ability to be able to deal with bigger clients um, and work, continue to work on a national and international scale, uh, really. Um, so I think that's that's our short-term vision. Um, we're certainly hoping to be able to kind of get our uh, get our message out there a little bit more. Um, our long-term goal is our long-term goal has never been to, to grow a really big agency. Um, I've been I've been part of big agencies before. There's a huge amount of benefits to them. I, Definitely had some fantastic experiences there, but um, we really want to keep a very um, local is the wrong word, but kind of almost kind of niche boutique agency that allows us to be able to deliver the work that we want to. So uh, one of the benefits that, well, one of the reasons we set up 43 was to be able to give dedicated focus um, and not kind of dilute our offering by spreading ourselves too thin with too many people, with you know people in different departments who don't speak to each other or anything like that. Um, and we don't really want to grow much bigger than 20 or 25 to be able to offer that really personal uh, touch to our clients. So although long-term, we're not um, looking to grow much further than where we hopefully will in the next 12 months, is we're certainly hoping to kind of gain a bit more national recognition um, in terms of our product offerings. Um, so we've managed to uh, secure some really, really brilliant talent in the past couple of years. So lots and lots of experience that is quite envious of, um, well, I'm hoping it's quite envious of a lot of the other agencies in our area. Um, we're hoping we can start to gain a bit of that talent, uh, gain, get a bit of that recognition uh, that, that comes with it, start to um, continue to deliver for our clients, start to gain recognition, maybe with a pick up a few rewards and things like that. Um, so yeah that's kind of our realm on there we and certainly one of our more altruistic goals is to try and raise the profile of digital within the Humber region um, so I spent a lot of my career over in Leeds which is a real digital hub Manchester's a real digital hub and London is obviously massive from it um, is 
Hull doesn't hasn't really got that uh, footing yet. There's some great things going on uh, with things like tight C4DI uh, and a couple other bits and bobs. But we really want to start raising that profile. So we've got a fantastic university in the University of Hull. Um, what I want to do is be able to try and keep a lot more of the students who graduate from there within the city. Uh, digital is a great way to be able to do that. Um, and so we're hoping that, you know, with the success of the agency, we can start to kind of bring a little bit more success from a digital point of view to Hull as well. Sounds like there's a great deal um, of ambition there, um, despite all of the uncertainty of the present time, Mike. And I think it would be fantastic, given how informative it's been having you on the uh, the programme today, to actually catch up in the next year um, or so, just to look at how things are changing and see how some of those hopes are being borne out, definitely. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to come back. Yeah, hopefully we've got some really good news for you. Um, mm. and we can tell you how it's all worked out. Yeah, hopefully so, uh, for sure. It's a shame we're just about um, out of time on the uh, the programme today, Mike. Otherwise, I'm sure we could talk about uh, these plans for the future all day. Yeah, but um, I've got to say, it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you um, on the uh, the programme, for sure. I've really, really enjoyed uh, the experience. And as I say, it's been incredibly informative for both myself and the listeners. Thanks ever so much for your time. And do take care no, and do stay safe as me. well. And yes, it's yeah. been a pleasure, Mike. Absolute pleasure, for sure. Thank you. That was Mike Ellis, director at 43 Clicks North. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with 1966 Football World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional footballer, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley State Stadium 54 long years ago now and I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff that's coming up next uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final Sir Jeff Hurst uh, thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him, 
and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more, was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time 
maybe over this trip by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life and my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top 
quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey, or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard of somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leading show he'd be the best example of course in, in football terms today uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind single mindedness, dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, 
Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.